Well, hello, everybody. It's Plary Poppins here, and there's a song that I just love to sing in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. I do hope you like it. Super fragile, isolated, I'm in a psychosis The government, they locked us down and now I feel atrocious Working home and trying to teach the kids, it leaves me nauseous Super fragile, unrealistic and a little torturous Drunk just a little and I won't tell a lie Drunk just a little and I won't tell a lie Drunk just a little and I won't tell a lie Drunk just a little and I won't I couldn't go to work for weeks and that was really bad I had to stay at home and teach and be a full-time dad And on that day I learned a fact, a fact I'd been ignoring My wife, she works at bum off and the kids are so exhausting Super fragile, isolated, I'm in a psychosis The government, they locked us down and now I'm rather toasted Now that the restrictions are reducing, I can shout Super frickin' fragilistic, now I can go out Hey, hey, goodbye everybody, have a wonderful day Hey George Okay what? Hello, hello. I was just going to, you butt in, I was just going to say welcome everybody to another episode of Float Your Boat. So I've just said it, that's it. Welcome everybody to another episode of Float Your Boat. You're here with the inimitable Brett Pattinson wearing his crusty old all-nighters t-shirt and uh, and and myself, George Sabados, and we're, we're really uh, happy to be here because it's our only chance to eyeball each other as a couple of friends in this COVID period. We're doing it. Looks over like Zoom. it's kicking off again, doesn't it, in New South Wales? It does. It looks like we're we're heading towards a lockdown. And speaking of lockdown, we're, we'll be talking to a, a gentleman that uh, I can also count as a friend, and he's the CEO of a of a uh, generational company down in Melbourne called uh, Ferguson Player Bakehouse. Which and, you, um, which you use when you had your roastery, you used to supply correct coffee correct, to him. Correct, correct. And anyway, he's a he's a wonderful chap. Uh, I won't give too much away, uh, but uh, but they're in complete lockdown at the moment in Melbourne, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Poor most of his most of his stores are located in Victoria. Uh, I'll be interested to I'll be interested to hear you know how they're coping, but you know they've they've been moving uh, thanks to his uh, leadership. They've been moving and shaking a little bit, shaking the tree. Uh, Stephen Player, it's very different. He and his brother, like the generations before him. Uh, were well, I guess they were gang pressed into you know sweeping the floors and and mopping the, the mopping the factory floor as young boys, and they grew up you know cleaning toilets and worked their way up. And one's now the CEO, that's Stephen Player, and his brother Mike now runs the the, the production team. So they make a they make an awesome duo. Well. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with Stephen uh, or Steve. I think he likes Steve better than Stephen. Steve, that's it? right, because he because he's a bit of a bit of a wants to be a bit of a star, and, and he's becoming a bit of a star on uh, on social media. So we could, we'll talk to him about that as well. And that's why I wanted to get him on because uh, I saw him on TV, and I thought I know that fellow. He's yeah. a friend of Georgie Boys. Let's get him on and talk about his Corona Corona Oki. I think he pronounced it something like that. <laughs> All right, let's get him on. Okie dokie. Let's <laughs> see ya. Yes, I was busy 
Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Okay, so w- welcome to our podcast, Stephen Player. Thanks now, for having me, George and Brett. I take it Hi, you Steve. like being called Steve because uh, because Brett was asking me the question, does he like being called Steve or Stephen? Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely Steve. And uh, unless mum joins us on the uh, on the call, it'll oh, be Steve. Then, it, then, it's, then it's Stephen. Here's Stephen. <laughs> oh, dear. Only when you're in trouble. Yes, that's right. <laughs> So, so Stephen, uh, 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 Steve, sorry, my mistake, <laughs> Steve. Good on you, George. Thanks, Steve. So, so remarkable story. Uh, for your your family has a remarkable story. Let's go way back. Let's go way back and explain the the story of your uh, grand great grandfather, right? Uh, uh, yeah, Otto. yeah, yep. Otto, Mister yes. Otto, what made him migrate to Australia? So well, I'll go right back to, if you're happy for me, to to talk about sort of our best guess of why he uh, became who he was and which will take us to the uh, to the migration journey. Absolutely. Um, so so I, I didn't meet Otto. As I recently saw a couple of photos with me and my great-grandmother, um, Liesl, uh, but, uh, but I think Otto was, was gone um, shortly before I was born. But, um, look, with all the inquiring that we did, um, we, you know, uh, Otto came from a little uh, farm town just north of Munich called Hohen Nelson, and it's still super tiny. I did a bit of a Google map search, as you do. Um, nothing there. And his father was a cooper, uh, was a beer barrel maker. So um, Otto good. was – yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> good, good uh, Some good genetics there. Yeah, um, But at some stage he's obviously decided to be, to be a pastry cook. And, you know, there weren't a lot of high-end pastry uh, – uh, um, uh, Patisseries and what have you around at that stage, so you know this. This is best guess based on on my family. But at some stage, at the age of about fourteen or fifteen, he decided he wanted to become a pastry chef, um, living in that little town. So, so you know, the, the story we choose to believe is that you know he, he would have been living in a two generation household with grandparents at, or three generation grandparents at home that didn't have very much money. They're obviously pretty poor, um, you know, but coming from a, a, a Cooper. Um, uh, Cooper trade and you know like all of us they sit around at the dinner table every night and you know hopefully at the end of the week there's a little bit left over and um, someone's either made him uh, a meal or a dessert or something you know that's you know made in such a way that's made him you know really happy and at some stage he's chosen to devote the rest of his life to helping other people feel good as a result of eating and choosing to deliver happiness through you know a gastronomic experience um, yeah, he, he then at some stage you know, spent some time in Munich and that's when he first got his apprenticeship. Uh, so he went to Munich and then he went to Paris and his mother, my great-great-grandmother, was from Montmartre um, and uh, I think he stayed with some family there. So he learned some more of his trade in Paris and then he headed across to London where he finished his trade, caught up with a couple of other baker mates and this would have been about 1907, 1908 and they all decided they want to come to Australia. Um, no, that's a big bold move. That was a bold was, move. Yeah, really big move. None of them had, oh, sorry, out of the four bakers, uh, one of them had quite a bit of money and the rest had none. So he lent 
uh, the other three mates uh, the money um, on the promise that they would pay him back when they got to the other side. So the story goes, you know, they, they came across, they spent however many months you do on a boat um, at that stage coming across. A lot of Germans hopped off um, in uh, Adelaide, uh, you know, Handorf and, and what have you, but uh, apparently the, the four Baker boys wanted to get as far away as possible, so they kept going to Melbourne. Um, hopped off at Princess Pier here in Melbourne, and uh, and yeah, they they both uh, or, sorry, all four of them started working uh, pretty quickly. Most of them ended up just working for others. And after a couple of years, Otto had paid back his fare and uh, and had enough money to open uh, the doors of our uh, first bakery in Puckle Street, Mooney Ponds. What, uh, and, what yeah. year was that, Steve? Uh, Open doors in 1911. Wow. Uh, I think landed in Melbourne 1909. No. Um, no. Yeah. Now I'm figuring. I'm figuring. I mean, Mooney Ponds is a, a, well, you would say it's a bit of a country country town even today, right? So I'm figuring Mooney Ponds was was uh, very very tiny back then. We have uh, some coffee cups that talk about our first uh, delivery trucks ate hay, and uh, it, it was it was horse and cart for sure. Well, you guys were way, were there way before um, Dane Edna, although he's she's about that old now, right? Yeah, 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 she she would have she she absolutely grew up around my grandparents' uh, fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Otto even even uh, lived long enough to serve uh, serve Dane uh, a, a bit of a, a cake or two. Probably did at some stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So so many ponds it went well. Obviously, I mean it, it it continued as a as a bakery with a shop front, right? It did. And look, you know, obviously opening in 1911, you know, they were only a couple of years ahead of the First World War and being German migrants and and what have you, there was, um, you know, it it was tough. I mean, one, all of the skills that he'd learned in Europe and brought, you know, he brought recipes and flavours over. So some of them were just really foreign and weird to uh, to, uh, local Melburnians. but on the flip side, they were also new, uh, new flavours and, uh, and it made them quite excited. Um, I, I had a guy call me about 10 years ago. He was studying the history of the eclair as part of a degree. <laughs> I don't know what degree. Um, and, uh, and he said, look, I've been researching deep, far and wide and the earliest reference I can find to an eclair is your great-grandfather. I'm, I'm going to suggest that he, you know, was the first person to retail an eclair in Australia. I was like... Let's, we'll own that. Let's do that. So, yeah, so look, who, who knows? Brought a lot of things that had, that weren't in the Australian, um, on the Australian bakery landscape uh, across to Melbourne, lots of very British-based kind of products. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and for a long time made very sort of continental German, or no, not German, European, French, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, of course, you know, the, the products we make now are um, not as petite and as, yep. as fancy as those ones. I'm guessing when World War One came along, um, he had some uh, some uh, he had to face some uh, accusations or issues uh, about being being of German background. I mean, was he interned like a lot of them were? Um, did he oh, have All all I know, I mean, I've got more sort of stories speaking to my grandparents about what it was like in World War II and at that stage, you know, they were well ingrained into the local community and weren't considered German or, you know, any of the the stigma that came came with that. It was was less... Less brutal at a, a sort of heritage level in World War One. It was more so about getting supply um, of ingredients and what have you. And I think this is, you know, at this stage the Fergusons had opened in uh, in Brunswick, and so you, you know 
really they weren't very far apart, Mooney Ponds and Brunswick. Again, you know, mm. horse and cart, you could, you know, probably see each other from the main streets. And so we started to, you know, find ways to help one another out and uh, ingredients would have been used or seconded for the war and we might not have been able to get our hands on sugar and the Fergusons were able to give us some honey or we might have found a recipe or offered to produce some things for them. And, and so it was more so that community spirit. I've, I never heard any stories of us being, the Plair family being particularly maligned uh, around that stuff. But, like, yeah, it would have been tough. I mean, a couple of years open, um, Australian versus migrants, uh, mm. some famous stories about uh, hot cross buns. You know, Otto had no idea really about Easter and how it was different in Australia to, to Germany and there was, um, you know, apparently we all celebrated on slightly different days and uh, some, you know, funny war stories around the family around how we got it wrong for a good couple of years. Jay, what, he didn't understand what hot cross buns were? Well, he didn't understand that, yeah, no, no, so they made them. Um, he, he didn't understand just how much people loved them. So when he opened his doors on uh, the you know, Good Friday of his first Easter year and people queued down the street for his buttons, um, he, you know, he, he probably made a couple of dozen, whereas, of course, you know, people buy, you know, four dozen each and he had to make thousands and so there were lots of stories about <laughs> You know, he, he was baking and proving for, you know, well into Saturday, Easter Saturday kind of thing. Yeah, right. And and then and then uh, and then, I guess after the war, after World War Two, uh, because of the the relationship that was established with the Fergusons, um, there was a decision made at some point. Was it by Otto or by someone or by by someone else to join with the the Fergusons? Oh, you know, so Otto was long gone. So the, the amalgamation with the Ferguson family was 1980, but the relationship oh, okay. really started to the, the relationship really started to build with Otto's son, my grandfather Ray, um, where both Ray Blair and I think it was uh, 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 Percy Ferguson for a long time, for maybe 10 to 20 years, were both either president and vice president or vice president and president of the Master Pastry Cooks Association in Victoria. Um, and they were friendly competitors. You, you know, if you go through the history books, you see, you know, Percy taking out the top five cake awards and then the next year you'd see it's Ray Clare. And they became famous for that trade and they actually um, started the William Angles Trade School down here in Melbourne. Is that um, right? Yeah, very, very um, trade-centric and wanting to give back to uh, to the pastry cooking trade. So that happened and then my, you know, so my father grew up in the shadow of that relationship and likewise his counterparts on the Ferguson family side. So again, World War uh, World War II helped each other out uh, at various stages with ingredients, were very similar but really weren't competing. Uh, and it was, uh, the Fergusons had a factory in, uh, in Brunswick and it was at capacity and they were just about to need to build a new one or find new premises and we had just built um, a new factory in the 1960s and we had lots of spare capacity uh, and so it was my father and a guy called Bob Ferguson who said well look you know rather than you, you guys build a new factory well we've got at least 50% spare capacity you know how do we feel about amalgamating uh, and so that happened on the 30th of June 1980. Right yeah well that's amazing really so so, so you I'm, 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 I'm assuming you were born just uh, just before then let's, let's go back a little bit your mum and dad <laughs> your mum and dad your dad yeah. met mum no, obviously not on the factory floor. Um, no, that, no. My my mum met uh, met my dad because she was friends with my dad's sister Bronwyn, and they used to ride horses together. Um, and and this is a little bit funny. So true story. My mum's maiden name is Baker, Margaret is Baker. That right? Wow, <laughs> amazing. Well, 
<laughs> my my dad was engaged to the to a lady who uh, worked across the road at a pharmacy, but um, you know, mum obviously impressed him enough, and maybe she just had the right surname. He got a bit excited. And, She's a better, um, she was a better looker, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> dad, uh, dad couldn't help himself. And then the buns <laughs> in the oven pursued. Oh, buns, yeah. that's right. I was the first bun in the oven. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> That's when, right. when when did you come along, Steve? I mean, it's giving up the game, uh, like you're. Oh no, that's you're right. Yeah, no, no, 1972, <coughs> 1972. So I think I married a couple of years before that. Um, I might I'll, just an interesting fact going back to my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, so Ray and Eileen Claire, um, they uh, yeah, they that they really loved their music. My grandfather was a violinist in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Uh, wow. And my grandmother Eileen was an Aria Award uh, nominee uh, opera singer, and so th- these were their hobbies. They loved classical music, uh, and and as uh, sort of uh, uh, as as achieved as they were in their spaces, um, or even like it is now, pretty hard to make money in music. So they both had to face the well. What do we do? I don't think they thought about it for very long. They obviously had to give up um, their uh, you know their musical. Uh, pursuits to work in the bakery because you know you work some pretty long hours and my, my grandmother ran the retail store and my my grandfather ran the bakery but yeah uh, I, anyway I just wanted to pass that through no but my I no I I do understand my my oldest daughter is uh, studying at the con she's studying opera at the con oh, and wow. she asked me and before she started she asked me dad um, will you pay for my education I said no 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 go on hex and she said why I said I said to her, because you'll never achieve an income above 50 grand a year to pay it back. <laughs> gee, gee, that's encouraging. An encouraging oh, no, father, no, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Good on you, George. <laughs> uh, well, it, it is. I mean, I, I, geez, between act, acting and music, uh, I think, you know, at any one stage, 2% of all actors have actually got paid gigs and it's, it's probably even worse for musicians. It's, um, so. you know. You've, you've got to decide that it's something you want to do because you love it and you just need to check it off your bucket list. Um, but, gee, having a backup plan is a pretty good idea. I um, think so. I, I think so. I have you heard are, that you're, you are like music just like your yes. grandparents, right? Yeah, 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 I do, I do. And, uh, and I remember telling my dad at one stage that I was going to take it pretty seriously and he did a terrible job of pretending to be excited for me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I had the same so, problem with my parents, let me tell you. Oh, really? Oh, God. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, Brett's mum was, was, was old school, well and truly old school. Like, what the, what the hell? Go get a job. S- slapped me around the head and said, <laughs> go and get, you know. I had a couple of choices, but uh, I took music instead of... Uh, professional golf so i should have taken professional golf at least that pays uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he he got sucked into the sex drugs and rock and roll indeed indeed but uh so so you you um you i mean when did you discover that you actually loved uh music i mean it must have been there from the very beginning but when did you yeah. first pick up an instrument yeah, I am. Um, I mean, you, when you grow up around it, you, you don't realise that it's not as normal as you think it is to, you know, to love music or to hear it and, and, and be around people singing in key or, or playing music. But I would get home and the way my dad would relax after, you know, very long days of work. I mean, I grew up with a dad who would leave to work at two in the morning. He would get back at about three in the afternoon. He'd say hi. He'd have dinner. He would go to bed and he would do that six days a week. You know, mum took us to footy training. We never saw him. 
Um, uh, you know, having said that, when we had holidays, he was fantastic. We'd go camping, all that kind of stuff. But when he got home to relax, he would play piano. And he's a brilliant pianist and, and he's gone back to it now. He's eighth grade. Um, he still takes lessons. He's playing Rachmaninoff and Mozart. Right? Yeah, and, and that's his thing. Um, so, look, I grew up around that and... Uh, and at one stage, my parents said, well, you know, we'd like you to take music lessons. And I can't remember ever not thinking that, that was um, ever thinking that that was a bad idea. So classical guitar, maybe at the age of seven or eight, um, I started doing and through that process, I had to do my AMAB exams. And some of that is singing a melody. And my music teacher said, oh, look, you, you know, you can sing you know, fairly naturally, why don't we do some singing? Um, and so, you know, a couple of years later, I was doing Fiddler on the Roof and Memories and some other things just in a local um, school hall. And that that led on. You asked me to tell you something that lots of people don't know, which was, um, uh, so for about two or three years, I went to Johnny Young Talent School um, with uh, Annie Minogue and some other people. Oh, right. Were you with Tina Arena and... Uh yeah, well, she was well out of it by by then. And look, seriously, I mean, we just brushed shoulders in the in the hallway. I was um, uh, I, w- I was a pretty good singer and a terrible dancer, so uh, it was lessons for me. I never got on TV, right? But um, but but that's when it all kind of started. And interestingly, so I sort of did that in grade five and grade six through school, and uh, and then I got to year seven at Essendon Grammar. Um, and actually there was a young talent time uh, guy, Greg Poynton, who was going to Essendon Grammar and uh, and all the kids were like, t- weren't speaking well of him and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone I could sing. And, you know, you pull your head in and um, anyway, I had a great time at school but it was, it was year 11 before I sort of let anyone know I could sing because I knew they'd broke me into choir or, you know, and it just wasn't my, wasn't the kind of thing I enjoyed. So... Anyway, so I had little bits of that and I played clarinet in the school orchestra was my was my sort of thing for getting away on musical trips. Uh, and then it got to I mean, year 11 when uh, there was a, like a perpetual trophy um, for various, you know, it could have been comedy, song, and a couple of my, my mates played music and um, and they needed a singer and so we rewrote the words to, uh, to a couple of songs and uh, made them sort of comical and... Uh, and sang, sang them to the school and won, and it, it was only I was only reflecting the other day that that was really the start of some of the silly stuff I'm doing on social media right now. I was hey, going to say that's a bit of a segue into uh, to what tipped me off um, to talk to George about getting you on was that I saw you on the morning show um, <laughs> doing your Corona stuff, and uh, I rang up George. I said Steve Player was just on the television; he's gone viral. <laughs> so, so you ha- you've always had it in you, but. Yeah, it was like it was something that it took, like oh, it might have been three years ago. We had our Ferguson Player Gala Awards, and and honestly, we were out of budget. And the guys said, "Look, we don't have money for a, a proper MC, and we don't have money for a band. Like, what do we want to do? Do we want to change venue? Any of that stuff?" I just said, "Look, all right, look, how about IMC?" And uh, and I, I didn't tell anyone. I thought, "Oh, look, maybe I'll do one of these cheesy things I used to do at school. I'll write a song about the franchisees. I'll choose a song they know." And it'll it'll either they'll either love it or <laughs> I'll never be let on stage again. <laughs> um, and and anyway, so it turned out that it was it was really well received, and you know the franchisees, you know I, I'd hoped that it would make them happy, but that they were just overjoyed at the whole idea that a, a that a CEO, and in my eyes, in their eyes, I'm I'm bigger than 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 I am in life. I think um, that I would take the time to you know, genuinely celebrate them in song and dance and, you know, perform at our gala awards for them. And 
and it became a thing where I just said, look, I'm, you know, I'm happy to not do it each year. And everyone said, you know, if you don't do it, you, you're in deep shit. Um, so <laughs> I've done that for a couple of years. Uh, and when this corona thing came along, you know, we, we quickly, you know, went into contingency planning for, well, what would, you know, what's the business going to look like if we go to stage four like New Zealand where we might not be allowed to manufacture or customers might not be able to come to our stores? You know, and, and going right up to well, what you know, what's our purpose as a business? And we reflect on this a lot, and it's making people happy or happiness through food. We've always known that. You know, before, you know, bigger than making cakes. You know, we make people smile. People don't need a pie or a vanilla slice to survive physio- physiologically. Um, some people might need it emotionally, um, but we've recognised that that you know, that people come to bakeries for treats. Sorry, yeah. Brett. Mm. Yeah, no, no. I was just going to say, George, when you said emotionally. Food eating. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know, that's it. And, and look, we don't encourage people to eat bakery goods every day of the week. You shouldn't. Mm. Um, uh, but when you're ready to have something nice, you know, make sure it does make you happy. Don't buy some you know crappy thing down the street. And mm. and we've always said, well, look, when you're ready for that, that'll be us. Um, anyway, so we quickly went to, well, look, if we can't manufacture at the very least, we want to still be having a conversation with our customers so that when this thing get you know is finished. We, you know, we've been there talking to them the whole time and we all went, you know, we can we can keep making them happy um, through this thing without a vanilla slice because we've got social media channels um, and how can we do some fun stuff? And so, you know, some of the guys said, well, why don't we do this sort of karaoke thing? You, well, actually, it started with like literally day one of lockdown was, you know, it, it was uh, horrifying, you know, for me as and my brother as fourth generation family because before JobKeeper came, we were staring down the barrel of, you know, commercial annihilation, like so many other businesses, it was very. Mm. And um, one, I, I've sort of jumped on my iPhone for the first time on Facebook Live and and said to people, "Hey, we're open." And until people tell you know tell you that bakeries aren't essential services, we're here. And then I thought, and and people like that; they like the realness of it. And so I thought oh, I'll do a couple little jingles because people need to cheer up because people were getting really flat. And so I did a couple little jingles with my daughters. And made them sort of bakery centric. We did like another one bites the crust by Queen, and girls just want to have buns at Easter time. <laughs> and that ended up, and people were like, "Oh, this is great! Thanks for making me smile." So, you know, the marketing team are like, "You know, you're on, mate. <laughs> this is all you're doing for the next two months." It saves on marketing budget as well, right? Well, it it does, and it's a. You know, if it wasn't for this, the audience wouldn't be as engaged as, as they are. I mean, I, I, prob- you know, I won't be doing this forever, but I'll probably be doing it more often than I was in the past. And it's made the business realise that we're busy telling people we're a family business and we're genuine and there are real family members in it and we want to make you happy. So what better way to demonstrate that than the CEO who's had a little bit of music experience singing to you just to make you happy whether you buy a cake or whether you don't we don't care we genuinely just want to feel like we made a difference through COVID um and uh and and that as you imagine all of our franchisees our staff our pastry cooks are going this is what we're here for you know we're here to make people happy I'm, I'm so proud to be part of this business yeah look, it, it, I mean it, it you know in a way it was by accident not design but it turned yeah. out it, it turned out to be exactly the, the 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 theme that you 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 had in you and your family had in you in them for generations, but but you've you you you're now expressing it in a way that I, 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 I can't imagine there's another CEO in the world that could, that does what you do on stage. No, no, no. They, no, they all they all look so serious, <laughs> whereas you look so goofy sometimes, but uh, but wonderfully goofy. 
Yeah, well, look, there lies the opportunity, isn't it, right? I mean, people just yeah. don't, ex- don't expect it and the unexpected is just so well viewed in social media. Mm. Um, and, and Facebook was quite good for that and, and Instagram for doing some of those funny things. But, like, the, the massive sort of discovery and surprise over literally just the last three weeks was we did stage one lockdown I did some of those funny, you know, dressing up as Freddie Mercury mm. and as a woman in I Want to Break Free and and vanilla slice slice and all that stuff. And, and I thought, oh, we're stage two. I don't know how TikTok works. Why don't I'll just cut them up into the, you know, you can only use 15, 30 and 60 second snippets in TikTok, mm. uh, which I didn't know at the time. I thought, oh, look, I'll just cut them up and I'll just drop them in as content and start to get a feel for how TikTok works because we, you know, our traditional audience weren't necessarily TikTokers. Mm. Um, and anyway, within a, a, I'd done I'd done a Daniel Andrews parody, which went down really well, just as Melbourne locked down. I thought, ah, oh, people are really enjoying this theatre, the theatre bit, you know, these well-known mm-hmm. theatre songs, especially the Julie Andrews stuff. And I was like, I did that Mary Poppins song about a month ago to Supercalifragilistic. So I just dropped it on, and within five days, it had a million views, and people were just going off. It was a cracker that one. I, I, was, I was looking at some of them on YouTube this morning and I thought that one was particularly good, although I, I thought you could have got dressed up in drag. It would have been better. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Van Dyke, wasn't he? I, I, well, I just changed hats, but I recorded it on Zoom. Like right now, I see my Star yeah, Wars back. Yeah. It was just Mary Poppins. Like it was no, there was no – Is that right? I do it a lot better now. I use GarageBand and a couple of other things, but – Oh my goodness! Anyway, but it, and that has shown me like people are not after polish mm, mm. these things. They are after a message that everyone's feeling deeply about, and they want they want relief via humour, um, and they want to feel like they're the, you know all the songs that go well are the ones that apply to everyone because then they just want to share it because they know that everyone's going to want to hear the message. And that's been my learning around this stuff is so, you know, yesterday when Melbourne went into additional lockdown or regional Victoria went into additional lockdown. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Gino from Bondi Broker. In today's changing times, the importance of health and financial security has never been more important. At Bondi Broker, we work with you to improve your financial security by offering free financial health checks, assisting in reducing your debt, and gain competitive rates to improve your cash flow. Bondi Broker gets you in the best financial health so you can focus on what matters most. Visit our website today for your free consultation at bondibroker.com.au. So, you know, more lockdown than, than we were two or three weeks ago. Uh, and we are certainly not allowed to be travelling into or out of uh, the suburbs that we live in unless we've got essential services um, uh, to, uh, to deliver. So all your, all your franchisees are, um, are, are on deck and they're open. None of the stores have been forced to close? No, so no one's been forced to close. Uh, the, I mean, I've got some stores that are trading at 70% down, which, you know, you can't do that for too long before there are some no. real issues. A lot of the larger shopping centres, 55 to 60% down. Um, but I've got, I've got quite a few stores that are in those more regional areas who are the beneficiaries of people not going to the big shopping centres and they're less down. Um, yeah. So across the mix, um, you know, I think we're probably trading at about 25% down. Um, hopefully yeah. it doesn't get worse. Um, so, you know, so support a, a lot of the stuff that we do internally at the moment is really just mental health and, uh, you know, encouraging resilience, letting people know that we will get through it, um, embrace the harsh realities that you won't, it's not going to, you're not going to wake up next Monday and it's going to be better. Like you might wake up in four Mondays and it'll get a bit better. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, here's what we're doing to make sure that when we do open our doors, 
Um, our customers have something exciting to see in our cabinet. So a lot of our, if we've got any dormant time, it's NPD, innovation. What are all those projects that we didn't have going or that we couldn't have done if we we're in full swing manufacture? Uh, and so, and, and that has been, that, that's been the catalyst for us being able to um, accelerate the development of our plant-based savories, which is just, like, that's just been an incredible thing to have happened during lockdown. Well, well, we'll get on to them in a minute because that is that is that is quite exciting. But I mean, obviously, for a company that's over a hundred years old, you've you've seen this stuff before. I mean, two world wars, recessions, you know, depression. Uh, you know, you could you could draw on the resilience of 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 people in the past and and reflect on where we are today. It's not a world war, okay? It's 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 it is uh, very important to a lot of people right now, but it's not nearly as bad as it as things uh, that happened in the past were uh, so obviously there's always light at the end of the tunnel is that the kind of message i mean obviously that internally that's the message you're pushing right that's absolutely right so once we got over the initial shock of everything in stage one and JobKeeper came through and we thought all right we, we, uh, we we're going to be steadied um until further notice i mean my brother and i were First of all, we're like, wow, we heard all these stories about Great Depressions and World Wars with our grandparents and never for a second did we think that we would be contributing our, you know, our bit to a challenge like mm. that. And we thought, wow, all right, we're, we're going through something like that and our grandfather did it, our great-grandfather did it, our dad did it, we're going to do it, you know, we'll get through it. So first of all, it was like, wow, is knowing that we come from a family who had, you're right, George, gone through way worse and survived. Um, so we had confidence that, you know, that, that, that we, we were part of a family that could do that. Uh, secondly, then saying that to franchisees as well, that, you know, we, we can get through it. We've done it before. Bakery is a very, it's a good model. Um, and it has always been a good model. You know, yes, we do some coffee and we do some impulse purchasing type stuff, but we, not like, unlike a lot of other a la carte type cafes where it's only, you know, um, eat in and it's, you know, smashed avo and feta on toast, you know, we sell pies and sausage rolls and pasties and, and we're selling no birthday cakes that, you know, no $300 four-tier birthday cakes, but we very quickly scaled that down to bring our sort of party-sized cakes for a family of four who still wanted to celebrate their kids' birthdays but couldn't do it with friends. And um, so, yeah, it, it gave us some confidence that it had been done in the past and we could do it again. Mm, mm. And, Steve, and, uh, you know, you go ahead, Brett. I was going to say, Steve, being a family-run franchise model, um, unlike most franchise models, it's run by you guys, you and your brother. Are you feeling? Do you are you feeling the pressure from all of this? I mean, you know, how yeah. are you? How are you going? I'm I'm good now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting when during the first stage lockdown, there was like, wow, uh, you know, there's it's going to be some serious. Um, uh, you know, a serious weight to carry. But I uh, said, so first of all, regardless of this or any other challenge I've had in the business, that the benefits of a good family business, and there's plenty of not good family businesses, but, you know, George knows my father and my brother and, and the way that we operate and, you know, we've got each other's backs every day of the week. Um, so mm. first of all, you know, my load is shared whenever I need it to be. You know, I can talk to my dad, I can talk to my brother, I'll get great advice. We've also spent the last two or three years setting up a more independent board and I've got a chairman who's had a lot of 
of experience and some other directors who, you know, I spoke to every one of our board daily um, during the first lockdown. And that's the only thing that let me sleep at night (laughs) because they've been through that stuff. And I had some pretty sleepless nights the the first lockdown, but right now I'm supremely confident about our capacity to get through this. It doesn't matter how many black eyes or bloody noses we get, you know, we will get through it. Um, It was interesting. We had to, you you know, when we weren't sure what our solvency was going to be like and how how quickly this thing would go, because at one stage, you know, it was like, wow, we might be locked down for six months. Mm. You know, we cut salaries by 30%. And, uh, and, you know, that was tough to do and it was tough for people to bear, but they all just grit, you know, grit their teeth and got on with it. But as soon as we realised we were, we were going to get through it better than we thought, we knew this thing was going to go on for a year, but we thought, you know, we can afford to pay that back. And so other than for one devastating month where we lost six figures, you know, pretty badly, as soon as it got better and we were cash flow positive, um, we uh, went back to our executive and salary team and we repaid all that money and we said, you know, you stuck with us, you didn't complain and we might need to do this again but we know when not to do it. Here's your money back. Let, let's get through this together. And it was it was a really, I'm so proud that as my board supported us to do that and mm. that the family wanted to do it and that we could we could be the best versions of ourselves in the most stressed environment. We've a, a number of times with our team have said, you know, People talk about values and culture. You know, you should be measured, um, uh, you know, on how good you are with those things when you are um, absolutely, um, when you've got nothing left. And if you can if you can be on values and on culture, um, you know, when things are really tough, that that's just testament to the type of people that we have. And, and I'm just so proud that we've been able to use yeah. culture to, to be those yeah. people. Yeah, like, uh, Stephen, I, I, I mean, as a testament to what you're talking about, I've been on many factory floors in many franchise um, uh, uh, systems. And um, usually you encounter resentment and, um, you know, there's there's lots of grumbling in the hallways about, uh, you know, the, the, the nature and, and of, of, the, uh, of the owners and the, uh, you know, the, the unfairness of it all. But on your factory floor, it was, it, it, I was always encountering love and respect and a family dynamic and it and uh and they they stuck by you they stuck by you obviously that's one of the reasons why they stuck by you uh incredible i've never i've never felt that on a factory floor before the fact that everyone on the floor was like one big extended family yeah thanks mate yeah it's um it's it's a good time to have a good culture in in these yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, Stephen, on on more important matters, mm. uh, you know, because you know, you you had to you had to uh, you know carry the weight of uh, the, the COVID and and the implications that had on your business. So you're looking pretty trim. So you've lost a bit of weight in order to carry that extra weight. What's going on for you on a personal level? Yeah. Look, I mean, so first of all, even sort of plant plant based bakery goods aside, have you, uh, is that is that enforced now in the company? Everyone has to go that way. No. Oh God, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, we did a fair bit of research around that. We don't, you know, we're sort of really we, we don't want to play into the very um, uh, the, the very focused plant or, or vegan eaters because it's it's not just about that these days. But no, for me, it's um you know through this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I, I know, and any, any leader knows that when your mind's in a good space, um, you know, your capacity to do the right thing is is strong. And my mind's not in a good space if my body's not in a good space. And and I've always stayed pretty fit. Um, so first of all, sleep. Um, you know, good diet and keeping myself, uh, you know, in good nick 
Um, so every morning, clean out, bit of meditation while I run, and then get ready for the COVID fight. That's what it's been like for the last three months. Um, but yes, during all of this, so November last year, well before COVID, um, or actually it was May last year, we, you know, I was starting to read up about a lot of the uh, the Beyond Meat type stuff that was going on with burgers and uh, and George, you know that we've had a business that's been very sustainably focused for a long time. And I just want to say, you know, all of this stems from that. You know, we have understood the impact of the carbon and the water footprint of grazing cattle, um, whether that be, you know, cow, sheep, lamb, any of that stuff, um, you know, for a long, long time. But we have a lot of, you know, meat pie eating customers and, and you know, cream, all that kind of stuff. Um, so all of our sustainability initiatives have been let's have a sustainable bakery and let's try and have sustainable practices and we'll recycle and we've you know we've won some awards. Oh, that's been great. We put solar on our roof. We drive 60% of our peak energy in summer comes straight from our bakery roof. You know, that's great. But when this meat stuff started coming up, I, coming up, I, I was at the supermarket. I thought, oh, I'm going to cook a spag bowl for the kids and see if they notice. And I, I mean, I was just astounded at the technology and the development that had happened in these meat replacement type products. And I thought, I wonder how it's going to perform in a pie because it's, it's starting to get pretty close to mince. So we did that. And within a couple of weeks, we were making some some pies that tasted a lot like a normal meat pie. Um, and I'll preface this is this is it, and not, our intention is, yes, not to take a meat eater across from eating a meat and telling them that's bad and eat a plant one. Um, doctors are doing that. Kids are coming home from school and doing that. We just want to make sure that when they um, decide they want to eat less meat, they can come to Ferguson Flair and get something. That that's what this is about. And yes, if you if your passion is animals, then of course that that's a, a wonderful thing for us to be supporting as well. So look, we started doing that, and obviously you know it's a very small part of the market, but it's growing at fifteen to twenty percent a year. And the rest of the bakery market's pretty neutral. There's not a lot of innovation going on. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and and we were passionate about it. It wasn't just a market opportunity. It's like, you know, far out. If, if we can help people who want to eat, um, you know, they still want a pie but they want a plant-based pie, they want to feel good about themselves and know they're contributing to the environment and they're keeping their kids happy who are coming home from school after learning about burping and farting cows, um, then, you know, we could be a solution for them. And so we started doing that and we got to, we'd gone through a, a business um, uh, d design process. It was called Design to Thrive, which was fantastic. It was all about design-led thinking um, for every process in your business. And part of that was, uh, you know, teaching us to really, you know, do you have, do you really have deep empathy for your customer? And they, they drew some really nice analogies to the likes of Dyson vacuum cleaners and how, you know, Dyson, you know, grew up having to vacuum with these shitty, smelly vacuums that smelled like dead cat. And, and you know, and it was, it was his empathy for that situation that helped him build the amazing things that he did. And uh, and we were building these products and I thought, look, you know, if, I, if, if we're going to build the most amazing plant-based pie, sausage roll, anything um, that tastes like meat, uh, you know, who are we going to talk to? And I thought, oh, I've got to go vegan. Just, you know, and, and I walked the talk because, you know, I, I like my health. I just finished watching Game Changers and a couple of other um, flicks and I thought, oh, I'm going to put this to, to the test. I like staying fit. I like not being too skinny, not being too muscly. I'm going to check this protein thing, this muscle thing. Um, and uh, and so I jumped on that and, uh, and and so I'm now, you know, I'm still plant-based. And I say plant-based because I'll declare, you know, if, if there's nothing in the fridge and the kids have a mozzarella, there's a pizza and there's a bit of cheese on there, um, <laughs> I, you know, I will not force the family to, you know, go out and buy 10 heads of broccoli, you know, for, for dinner, I'll, I'll eat it, right? But I am classically, you know, flexitarian, which is vegan whenever possible, vegetarian if I have to, 
Well, and, and that's it. And, you know, if, again, if I'm camping somewhere and there's tuna on something or other, if, if I have to, I'll, I'll eat it. It's, and, and my job is to not convince the world to go like that. As I said, it's just to walk the talk. And, and I, I mean, I feel fantastic. Um, yeah, you look good. So, yeah. You look good. And who, and who finds those kooky shirt, T-shirts you wear? Oh, which uh, one? Is that living life those, on the bed? Yes. Oh, that, that, yeah, was, that was my brother for, for, Chris, for Christmas. I, he knew I'd gone veg. Um, no, he found that for me. Oh, it, was, it was great. Yeah. I, I think so too. You're just like Todd. You're, you're becoming like uh, Todd Sampson on on uh, the Gruen transfer. Well, Different T-shirt every every show. No, well, I've got to find more. That's the only bloody one I've got. <laughs> you know, the thing that I like about that is, you know, Mike. He he, he likes trying the plant based stuff. But you know, Ferguson Flair is now a business where the CEO is you know predominantly vegan, um, and I'm very committed to building out more of those products. Um, and you've got my brother who's head pastry chef and, uh, you know, and, and he eats meat. And, you know, who would you trust better than a bakery that does a great job of, eating, of making meat pies to make yeah. you a pie that tastes like meat that's not meat? Um, yeah. And sort of I'll preface all of this with it, that sustainability level. You know, the whole market around plant-based meat is built on the fact that in 2050 there will be 9 billion people on the planet and we will not, as a human race, be able to get our protein from animals. So at some stage it's coming. Um, and we want to help build out some products where, you know, people who want to get a head start on that can, can do it with Ferguson Flair. Great job, yeah, Steve. A, Great job. That's it's actually a frightening It's actually a frightening concept when you think about we're still going to be alive in 2050 and we'll see the massive shift in the eating habits of humanity. Mm. Yeah, well, it, is, it has been it, – it's been amazing the response to the plant-based stuff. So, you know, Ferguson Flair as a, a – as a business, you know, we, don't, we haven't had people banging down our door for vegan product. Um, but, you know, it was about a year or two ago, we thought, oh, look, yeah, we'll make a vegan raspberry cake for Mother's Day. Let, you know, people are talking about it a bit. Let, let's do it. And anyway, we did it. Social media went off. And it was, I was really surprised at the number of customers who said, oh, my God, I haven't been able to buy your stuff for the last 10 years. You now are doing vegan stuff. I'm back. And, I, and I've realised you know, it's not a massive part of the market, but even if it's 1% or 2%, mm, that's mm. a lot. And we've got people who are loyal to Ferguson Play who abandoned us because we weren't, you know, f- focusing on them. And Ferguson Play's always done a bit of everything for everyone, you know, party pie to wedding cake. So we're like, all right, well, let's do some more of this. And and we did, um, and we'd been doing lots of flourless stuff. So similarly, not people who are particularly celiac because they don't have a gluten-free facility, um, but flourless was getting very popular. And, and and that sort of helped validate, well, we've got some people who would love to come back to Ferguson Plur. They've got wonderful memories of growing up with our product, but for whatever reason have decided to go vegan or plant-based. Um, and so, uh, so, so we did that and it was very different to us launching a fancy new range of little eclairs that we did a couple of months ago. You know, when people come to our counter, they look for some beautiful cakes and we don't have to tell them anything when there's a beautiful looking, you know, shiny raspberry um, eclair there. You know, they know what it is, they buy it. Um, vegan was going to be different. You know, for us to sell plenty of plant-based pies and, and sausage rolls, it was going to be a real marketing challenge. We had to get out beyond the store and tell people who were looking for those products that they can now get it at Ferguson Flair. So the marketing team did a great job of drumming up some you know, really fun ideas and one of them was pitching me as the president of the People's Pie Party. Um, and we, we really wanted to sidestep the fact that plant pies are best. It's like, no, well, it's, it's pies for the people. It's, you know, you want a meat pie, we're for you. You want a gluten-free pie, which we're launching next week, 
you know, we're here for you. You want a plant-based pie? We're here for you. It's everyone deserves a great pie. Um, and I thought it was a really nice way to approach our market who would be very quick to say, hey, stop making me feel guilty about eating a meat pie. Um, you know, they, they, they'd leave us and we, we don't want them to, you know. Um, I'm so proud to say that after four weeks, uh, our plant-based sausage rolls and pies uh, now make up more than 10% of all of our savouries, which I'm just blown away by. That's, That's awesome. Amazing. That is amazing. Look, I, I tell you what, I'll feel guilt-free when you come up with a vegan vegan version of a uh, of a vanilla slice. You let me know, I'm there. All right, cool. We we've got some recipes down here. We haven't made it yet, but <laughs> no, 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 I trust Mike. Mike Mike's brilliant, and and if he makes a vanilla slice taste like the old vanilla slice, that will be a game changer for me. All this, all, right, cool. all this food talks making me really hungry. Oh, I've got to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to reduce my man boobs. I'm trying to look as 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 fit and healthy as uh, as as Steve. Do you know Steve? I was the only no hope, vegan. George. I was I was vegan since uh, since August last year, and mm. I put on and I put on weight. The only person to put on weight I from being on, a vegan put, in the world. I put yes, I, I got to <laughs> I, I I got to 110 kilos. I couldn't believe it. So, are you vegan now? Predominantly, yes. Oh, I didn't I'm, know. That. I'm, like, I'm like you, flexitarian, but I don't look it, do I? I don't really? look it. <laughs> Mate, you can absolutely get fat on a plant diet. I'm, you're right. I'm still running. Like this is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's right. well, I wasn't. I wasn't running. I wasn't running. But it, it it was remarkable that you could actually pack on the the weight. I mean, if you eat beans yeah. and rice and 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 those kind of um, those kind of foods, uh, yeah, you'll pack it on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at least it's 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 a whole. I mean, ninety percent of it's good fat, but it's still fat. Steve, I, I wanted to I wanted to thank you, mate, for your time and yes, uh, Steve, your thanks. generosity, mate. It's uh, it's been wonderful. It's always it's always good kicking the can around with you. Pleasure. And, uh, thanks for taking an interest. And so, and you know what? Aren't aren't we so lucky that beer is vegan? <laughs> well, apparently some isn't right, but that's 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 where I draw the line. I you know is that right? How is that possible? I think someone tells me that that some some beers and wines are, are filtered using like chicken bones or fish bones or some some weird thing, right? Ooh. So like, if you are diehard vegan, um, you need to check the label. Um, and so look, wow. I, wow. I will sometimes, but you know, if if the only beer going is uh, you know has used that process, then I'm good. Oh, I'm too bad. Flexitarian. Flexitarian. Uh, Steve, I wanted to thank you, mate. Love to the family. Thanks, Steve. It's been, it's been yeah, terrific. Thanks, and and we'll, we'll see you we'll see you around shortly. And thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks, no Steve. Worries, thanks guys. for your Catch time. Catch you around. Hang in there. Stay safe. Thank yes, you. you too. Good luck. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.